Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 20 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach. Alongside me is Chad Knight. Hey, how's it going? Today, we're going to be continuing our decade series, talking about the number one songs from the decades, and this time, it's going to be 1970. Nice. I know, right? Now we're starting to get into more of the meat and bones of what we're used to. Yeah, right? this is this is where our music starts. Oh, well, in, our, in our lives, for that matter. But. Well, yes, but later in the six or in the seventies, I'm a I'm a seventy sixer, and I'm a seventy seven er. So there you go. So some of these are very much the type of music I listen to. Some of them very much not the type of music I listen to. I'm I'm gonna just say that I I've already mentioned this before. I am angry at what was the number one for the year that I was born, but we'll get to that later. Well, yeah, we'll get to that one when we get to that one. So let's just kick it off here. 1970, Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. Six weeks atop the number one. Yeah, Simon and Garfunkel were an American folk rock duo consisting of singer-songwriter Paul Simon and singer Art Garfunkel. They were one of the best-selling music groups of the 1960s and became counterculture icons of the decade's social revolution, alongside artists such as the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and Bob Dylan. Would you have really considered the Beach Boys to be counterculture? Not counterculture. I mean, they were just surfer dudes even though they didn't know how to swim <laughs> anyway that, that just got, that caught me off guard but anyway the biggest hits including the sound of silence mrs robinson and bridge over troubled water and the boxer reached number one on singles charts worldwide their often rocky relationship led to an artistic disagreements which resulted in their breakup in 1970 their first studio record bridge over troubled water uh, was their most successful, becoming one of the world's best-selling albums. Since their split in 1970, they have reunited several times, most famously in 1981 for the concert in Central Park, which attracted more than 500,000 people, the seventh largest concert attendance in history. Let's listen to this number one. Simon and Garfunkel were described by critic Richie Unterberger as the most successful folk rock duo of the 1960s and one of the most popular artists from the decade in general. They won 10 Grammy Awards and were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990. Their Bridge Over Troubled Water album was nominated at the 1977 Brit Awards for Best International Album and is ranked as number 51 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Simon and Garfunkel, I... I dig this song. I dig a lot of their stuff, actually. Um, but they're very folksy. If you're not into folk music... It's very singer-songwritery. Yep. Um, and little known fact, and I'm making this up, just putting it out there, that uh, one of the concert writers for Getting Back Together was that um, Garfunkel had to get a friggin' haircut. <laughs> um, but seriously, no, it's, it's very folksy. It's not for everyone. Um, it was kind of the... 
end of the 60s, Peacenik 70s? Yep, yep, very uh, much so. Wasn't Vietnam War around that time? Late uh, 60s, early 70s? Yeah. And th- that was one of the... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, I believe, were pretty solid into the hippie peace movement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you hear a lot of that. You see that like with Forrest Gump in that time frame and everything else. It's good music. Um, they pretty much dominated The Graduate, the Dustin Hoffman movie. Yep. In fact, that was Sound of Silence and Mrs. Robinson. Yes. Um, great duo. I, I I like them. I personally care for Paul Simon's stuff on his own better. See, Paul Simon's stuff on his own, and you're talking like in the 80s? Yeah. Very not my thing. <laughs> See, and this is where we're going to disagree. I liked his solo stuff better than his folksy stuff. Okay, yeah, we're going to disagree. So, but that's okay. That's what we do here. Absolutely. So let's go to 1971. Yes, and this song. I love this song. It's Hold joy. On. Did we even listen to the clip from 1970? We didn't. Well, let's listen to that quick, and then we can move to 71. Oh, wait. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We did listen to the clip. I okay. guarantee it. Okay, very good. If not, it's going to be inserted very awkwardly somewhere. <laughs> very good. <laughs> All right, so... 1971, Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. Spent six weeks atop the uh, the number one. Three Dog Night is an American rock band. They formed in 1967 with a lineup consisting of vocalist Danny Hutton, Corey Wells, and Chuck Negron. This lineup was soon augmented by Jimmy Greenspoon, Joe Shermie, Michael Alsup, and Floyd Sneed. The band registered 21 Billboard Top 40 hits with three hitting number one between 1969 and 75. It helped introduce mainstream audiences to the work of many songwriters, including Paul Williams, an old-fashioned love song, Hoyt Axton, Joy to the World, Laura Nero, Eli's Coming, uh, Harry Nilsson, One, Randy Newman, Mama Told Me Not to Come, and Leo Sayer, The Show Must Go On. Let's take a short listen. The official commentary included in the CD set Celebrate, the Three Dog Night Story, 1964-75, states that vocalist Danny Hutton's girlfriend, actress June Fairchild, best known as the Ajax Lady from the Cheech and Chong movie Up in Smoke, (laughs) suggested the name after reading a magazine article about indigenous Australians in which it was explained that on cold nights they would customarily sleep in a hole in the ground while embracing a dingo. On colder nights, they would sleep with two dogs, and if the night was freezing, it was a three-dog night. Huh? I'll be damned. I read it could, that. It could be total bullshit, but you know, hey, hey, that's what the—that's where it came right off the CD, man. It can't be bullshit, can it? Just like everything on the internet's correct, right? Hey, Abe Lincoln said that. Oh, that's right. But anyway, uh, this song, "Joy to the World," it's just a fun song. It's a happy song. It is. Um, my mother used to actually babysit a kid named Jeremiah. <laughs> so whenever she would, she would do this song. And of course, me being younger at the time, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. But as I started getting more into the music, I'm like, oh, that's kind of clever. Yeah, because Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Exactly. was a good friend of mine. I've heard that. You know, Three Dog Night, it's one of those bands where you may not know the band, but you know their music. Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize so many people came from it, like um, Randy Newman and Henry Nilsson. No, these are people that wrote music for them. Oh, okay. My bad. I misunderstood that. Yeah, so... But anyway, you know, uh, let's jump into our first. 1970s are rife with this shit. Let's two jump in there. Two furs, three furs, five furs. I don't know. Maybe not five furs. But. So, 1972, there was um, two number ones. 
Uh, the first one being the first time I ever I saw your face by Roberta Flack. Spent six weeks atop the Billboard Top 100. So Roberta Cleopatra Flack. Wow. Is an American singer and musician. She's best known for her classic number one singles, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, Killing Me Softly with His Song, and Feel Like Making Love. And for Where Is the Love and The Closer I Get to You, two of her many duets with Donnie Hathaway. Let's listen to a bit of this. The first time ever I saw thought the sun rose in your eyes. Now, Flack was the first and remains the only solo artist to win the Grammy Award for Record of the Year on two consecutive years. The first time ever I saw your face won the 1973 Grammys, as did Killing Me Softly with his song at the 1974 Grammys. What do you think of this? I'm not a Flack fan. I'm really not. Um, the music is good. I know that they've covered... This song has actually been covered more modern, and that one did very well. I, I don't know. It just... I, I like her voice. It's just not my stuff. No, and I would agree with you. And especially this song... This song... Nothing. I could care less about this song. You know, is, we talk about getting the feels, and this is like Stone Cold right here. I have gotten no feels for this at all. <laughs> it's, it just, I'm, I'm a heartless bastard, whatever, but I just, I don't care. No, I totally get it. And the other 1972 uh, number one, Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan. Is the guy Irish? Uh, he is Irish. With a name like Gilbert O'Sullivan? <laughs> well, Gilbert O'Sullivan, born Raymond Edward O'Sullivan is an Irish singer-songwriter, best known for his early 1970s hits, Alone Again, Naturally, Claire, and Get Down. The music magazine Record Mirror voted him the top UK male singer of 1972. Worldwide, he has charted 16 top 40 records, including six number one songs, the first of which was 1970's Nothing Rhymed. Such was his popularity in the early 1970s that Matrimony, an airplay and live favorite from the debut album himself, remains one of the most famous compositions despite only having been a hit single in the Netherlands where it reached number four. Let's take a listen to Alone Again. His most successful recording period was between 1970 and 1980, though he has since recorded 10 studio albums up to 2015. Speaking in 2009, he said, I write pop songs. End of story. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. And that's all I continue to want to do. I have no interest in just touring and living in the past. Seems like a pretty straightforward guy. He is. Um, I have to say, never heard of the dude. Yeah. <laughs> never at all. Um, having to do this one, I am, I'm not a fan. I really no, didn't, I didn't care for the song at all. <laughs> I, um, I didn't either. I, he seemed very whiny and like, poor me, poor me, I suck, I'm by myself again. And if, if that's what he considers a pop song. That's, wow, that's, that's almost triggering. 
Just <laughs> do I need to talk you off the ledge? <laughs> no, no, no. If I have to hear this song again, I might. But no, I, I'm all jokes aside. I'm I'm just not a fan. I didn't find it very entertaining. No, I I totally get you, man. So 1973, we have a threefer. We do a three for three for three for. All right. So I don't know why I did that. But the first one is Killing Me Softly with his song by Roberta Flack. Spent four weeks atop the number one. Flack began singing uh, professionally after being hired to perform regularly at Mr. Henry's Restaurant on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. in 1968. The atmosphere in Mr. Henry's was welcoming and the club turned into a showcase for the young music teacher. Her voice mesmerized locals and word spread. A-list entertainers who were appearing in town would come in late at night to hear her sing. Frequent visitors included Woody Allen, Bill Cosby, Ramsey Lewis, and others. You think Bill drugged her stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's he's reportedly going blind. Is he? That's what was in today's news, is that he's supposedly blind. So, <laughs> so as Yaffe recalled, she told me if I could give her work there three nights a week, she would quit teaching. He did, and she did. Let's listen to the second number one in two years from Roberta Flack. So to meet Roberta's exacting standards, Yaffe transformed the apartment above the bar into Roberta into the Roberta Flack room. I got the oak paneling from the old Dodge Hotel near Union Station. I put in heavy upholstered chairs, sort of conservative style form of the 50s, and an acoustical system designed especially for Roberta. She was very demanding. She was a perfectionist. Now, this song I like. I like this one better. Um, I'm sure that you can probably remember this as well when, uh, let's come to Acid IFC, when the Fugees covered this one. Um, yes. Uh, Lauren Hill and, uh, what the hell's the guy's name? Um, come on, what's the singer's name? I don't know. I, I'm lucky I know the name, the Fugees. <laughs> no, Lauren Hill and the Fugees, and I, I can't remember the guy's name. It's going to bug, bug me. They covered this one in, I want to say it was the, what, the 90s maybe? Yeah, it would have been the mid-90s, I think. They played it to death on the radio, and I learned to hate it, but actually going back, it's a pretty decent song. Yeah, I enjoy this Wyclef one. Wyclef Jean. That's it. What was that? Wyclef Jean. Yes. Okay. That's... I knew it was, it was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> so up next in 1973, we have Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree by the band Dawn featuring Tony Orlando. Spent four weeks top the number one. Uh, Tony Orlando and Dawn is an American pop music group that was popular in the 1970s. Their signature hits include Candida, Knock Three Times, Tire Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree, and He Don't Love You Like I Love You. Let's give them a listen. So Tony Orlando was born Michael Anthony Orlando Cassiavitis uh, in 1944. After almost a decade of singing and with only three top 40 hits, two in 1961 and another in 1969, as lead singer of the studio group Wind, he had not had any further successes. 
He stopped singing entirely, and by 1970, he was a retired demo singer. He began publishing music for April Blackwood Music, a division of Columbia Records instead. Then Orlando received Candida, a song that other producers and singers had turned down. Originally, Orlando was not able to lend his name to the song as he was working for April Blackwood and recording under his own name would be a professional conflict of interest. After an insistence by producer Mark Mendress that he dub his voice over the male voices on the original track, the single was released on Bell Records, labeled as being performed by the band Dawn to protect Orlando's position. This was something I learned. I thought Dawn was a person. As did I, actually. And actually, there have been three different Dawns throughout the years. This song is kind of one of those, I don't know, snooze fests. I actually really liked it. Did you? Yes, I don't know why. It was just it was just kind of like a, oh gosh, think of like a vaudeville guy with like the little corn, like the corn hat and like the cane and, or perfect image. Okay, what did Dick Van Dyke look like in Mary Poppins? With like a uh, striped shirt and, yeah, the hat and everything else. Yeah, like a like a like a um what's the word I'm looking for? Like a um barbershop barbershop quartet, right? Yeah. That is what I Im- imagine when I hear this song. Just some guy standing there with his cane just kinda swinging from side to side. It's silly. I mean, I get this the message of it. And it just I'm sorry, I grin every time I hear this song because it's just goofy. Well, you know, I I totally have to disagree with you. I'm not a big fan of this one. But we'll just leave it at that, because we have another song from 1973. A third song. We do. It's called My Love by Paul McCartney. This also spent four weeks atop the charts. So Sir James Paul McCartney is an English singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and composer. With John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, he gained worldwide fame with the rock band The Beatles, largely considered the most popular and influential group in the history of pop music. His songwriting partnership with Lennon is the most celebrated in the post-war era. After the band's breakup, he pursued a solo career and formed the band Wings with his first wife, Linda, and Denny Lane. Let's hear my love. When the cupboard's bare, I'll still find something there with my love. It's understood. McCartney has been recognized as one of the most successful composers and performers of all time. More than 2,200 artists have covered his Beatles song Yesterday, more than any other copyrighted song in history. Wings' 1977 release, Mull of Kintiri, is one of the all-time best-selling singles in the UK, a two-time inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as members of the Beatles in 1988 and as a solo artist in 1999. McCartney, Lennon, Harrison, and Starr all received the most excellent order of the British Empire in 1965, and in 1997, McCartney was knighted for services to music. Now, this is a great song. I like this song. You know, and where you said the last one was a snooze fest, I found this one to be a snooze fest. It is kind of a snooze fest, but it's one of those songs that are great in certain situations. I'm listening. Dancing with your other half. Significant other. Okay. Significant other. Um, between the sheets with your significant other. There are places for it. It's just, it's a fun little love song. It is a love song. I'll, I'll grant you that. 
You're not going to give me fun, though, huh? No, I, I, I know. I understand that you've got a, a bit of a chip for the shoulder because it's a Beatle person. Actually, you know, of all the Beatles, Paul is actually my least favorite. Yeah, I, I dig Wings, though. I, I will listen to Wings all day long before I listen to more of the Beatles catalog, though. But that's just my own personal opinion. Eh, well, you know, you're allowed an opinion, you even know, if it's have, wrong. You should give me at least a little bit of credit that it, Wings is still kind of an offshoot of the Beatles, though, to a degree, because it's one of the members. <laughs> okay, but that's like saying that the, the Ringo Starr band is an offshoot of the Beatles. It is, because it's got an, a member <laughs> of the Beatles, and I put member in quotes. Why would you member quote Ringo? He was there most of the time. Because it's Ringo. I don't know. Ringo, Ringo always seemed like a very interesting guy to me. But it is what it is. So certainly, let's jump to 1974, where we have four number ones. It is a fatal four-way of songs. Because, obviously, the 70s are even worse for making up your damn mind than the 60s. So anyway, in 1974, the first number one is The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand. Barbara Jones Streisand is an American singer, songwriter, actress, and filmmaker. In a career spanning six decades, she has become an icon in multiple fields of entertainment and has been recognized with two Academy Awards, ten Grammy Awards, including the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award and the Grammy Legend Award, five Emmys, including one Daytime Emmy, a Special Tony Award, an American Film Institute Award, a Kennedy Center Honors Prize, four Peabody Awards, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and nine Golden Globes. Freaking underachiever, Jesus. <laughs> She's among a small group of entertainers who have been honored with an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Award, and is one of only two artists who have also won a Peabody. Let's listen to her number one, The Way We Were. Memories like the corners of my mind Misty watercolor memories of the Streisand is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, with more than 68.5 million albums in the United States, and with a total of 145 million records sold worldwide, the only female in the top 10, and the only artist outside of the rock and roll genre, making her the best-selling female artist among the top-selling artists recognized by the recording industry of America. Yeah, like you said, underachiever. Yeah, I mean... I mean, how'd she make the top? I, I have no idea. I mean... Would you get off your ass and do something? Christ. <laughs> you know, and this song, this song's okay. I am not a Streisand fan. No, no. She is not, she does not sing my kind of music. No. I, I give her props for, in the research, what I found about her. Mad props. I mean, she did it all. She did. She did. Um, I, I would agree. I'm not a big fan. It's not a, not my type of music. And I'm not one of the Streisandaholic type people who, I mean, she is another one that live commands huge amounts of oh, yeah. tickets. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember Streisand came in a concert when I lived down in Iowa in, in the mid-2000s, and the tickets were, I want to say, about 250 bucks for crap seats. That's for the nosebleeds, huh? Yeah. Um, although McCartney tickets were over $150 for the same as well. But she just commands, they, you know, those classic artists just commands so much money, and people pay it. That's, that's the sad part, too. I mean, I love my music. You love your music. Yep, absolutely. There is nobody on this green earth that I would pay that much to go see. I can't agree with that. Oh? I would pay just about any price that I could afford, mm -hmm. obviously, okay. to see uh, Billy Joel, Elton John, 
That's I, about it. You know, and I've actually seen one of those already. Which one? Elton John. Okay. Great concert. Uh, Three-hour concert and opening act. Great concert. Oh, still, even on floor, on floor, way back, still only paid 100 bucks for it. Okay. Uh, Billy Joel, those are expensive. That my Well, I know when Billy Joel and Elton John were touring together and they mm-hmm. came to the Madison area, or was it the Milwaukee area? I think they played Alp- Alpine. Did they? I think so, yeah. Okay. But when they came there, tickets were about 350 bucks a pop. Now, if I had the money at the time, which I didn't, you know, and here's I would have done it. That's two artists, though. I mean, it, if it was three hundred dollars for just one of them, no freaking way. I don't know. I can't say. I I can't say with complete confidence that I would not spend yeah, that. But here's the thing, too, though. Nowadays, Billy Joel could retire or die. You know, knocking on wood. Hopefully not at any time. Elton John, the same way. Right. So that's one of them where. That's where I would take back what I said. Like, if there's somebody I really, really desperately want to see before they quit, retire, quit, retire, died, whatever, I might scrounge the money somehow. But that being said, I'm going to say with 90% confidence, there is nobody that I want to see that bad that I would beg, borrow, steal that much money for. Fair enough. On to the next 1974 top, Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Terry Jacks is a Canadian singer, songwriter, and record producer, an environmentalist best known for his 1974 hit song, Seasons in the Sun. Let's take a listen to it. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, but the wine and the song like the seasons have all gone. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun, but the wine and the song like the seasons have all gone. The song Seasons in the Sun was originally intended for the Beach Boys, with Jack serving as producer for the recording. However, after the group decided not to release it, Jax decided to record it himself in late 1973 on his own record label, Goldfish Records, which became the largest selling international single by a Canadian artist at that time, eventually selling 14 million copies worldwide. It earned Jax two Juno Awards and became one of the biggest selling Canadian singles of all time. This is, I don't know about you and you can disagree with it if you want, this is one of those songs where I think everybody's heard it. They just didn't know either who did it or what the name of the song was. I totally agree with that. Because I heard the song, but if you just said this is Terry Jackson, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. I had no idea. I knew the song. I enjoyed the song. Yeah, I like the song. Yeah, it's I a just great song. didn't know who the hell it was. Yeah. All right, so on to the next one. 1974, The Streak by Ray Stevens. Did you, can you believe that made the Billboard Top 100? You know what, though? When we talked last time, The Purple Pea Deleter, which was another comedy That's song. That's true. Made it too. So apparently in the late 60s and the 70s, America was starting to lighten up a little bit. Have a sense of humor? Exactly. So Harold Ray Ragsdale, known professionally as Ray Stevens, is an American country and pop singer, songwriter, and comedian. Known for his Grammy-winning recordings, Everything is Beautiful and Misty, as well as comedic hits such as Guitar Zan and The Streak. Oh, I love Guitar Zan. I know. That's probably better than The Streak, honestly. I personally think so. Uh, he has worked as a producer, music arranger, songwriter, television host, and solo artist. Been inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, and the Christian Music Hall of Fame, and received gold albums for his music sales. Don't look, Ethel! That's a little bit of the song. Well, let's hear more of it. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Look at that, look at that. Fastest thing on two feet. Look at that, look at that. He's just as proud as he can be. His anatomy, he gonna give us a peek. 
1973, Stevens had a top 40 country hit with the title track of his album, Nashville, and performed on a variety of primetime TV programs. In 1974, Stevens recorded perhaps his most famous hit, The Streak, which poked fun at the early 1970s fad of running nude in public, known as streaking. It became number one both in the UK and the US, and number three on the country's chart. In 1975, he released the Grammy-winning Misty, which became his biggest country hit. He also entered the country top 40 with a doo-wop version of Indian Love Call, Everybody Needs a Rainbow, and a ballad version of Young Love in early 1976. I personally did not know that he was a country singer. I didn't know about the country part. I just knew about the comedy part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for that, we have to thank Dr. Demento. Yeah, that's probably where I heard it first. Either that or maybe on Yeehaw. Oh, possibly. I mean, if he was a country artist, I mean, they could have pulled him on there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw him on Yeehaw when I was a kid. Okay. Oh, My parents loved watching w- that show. WJFW. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the channels that you get. Yep, yep. So, anyway, the last number one in 1974 that's on our list is You're Having My Baby by Paul Anka and Odia Coates. Paul Albert Anka is a Canadian-American singer, songwriter, and actor. Anka became famous during the late 1950s, 1960s, and 70s with hit songs like Diana, Lonely Boy, Put Your Head on My Shoulder, and You're Having My Baby. He wrote such well-known music as the theme for The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, and one of Tom Jones' biggest hits, She's a Lady, as well as the English lyrics for Frank Sinatra's signature song, My Way, which has been covered by many, including Elvis Presley. He was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame in 2005. Let's take a listen. You're having my baby What a lovely way of saying how much you love me You're having my baby what a lovely way of saying what you're thinking of me. Odia Coates is best remembered for her duet with Paul Anka, You're Having My Baby, that went on to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 24th, uh, 1974. The two recorded several more top 10 and top 20 hits, including 1974's One Man, Woman, One Woman, Man, and 1975's I Don't Like to Sleep Alone, and I Believe There's Nothing Stronger Than Our Love. She recorded Make It Up To Me In Love, a sequel to One Man, Woman, One Woman, Man, with Anka in 1977. Not my kind of music. It's a, it's a love ballad. Yep. But that's pretty much all I really got to say about it. When, when we talk about ballads, we usually like the word power in front of them. Absolutely. <laughs> so 1975, Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. Four weeks atop the charts, longest charting song that year. So another one of those years where... It cycled a lot of songs through. So, mm-hmm. Captain and Neil were American recording artists whose primary successes occurred in the 1970s. The husband and wife duos were Captain Daryl Dragon and Catherine Antoinette Tony Tennille. They have five albums certified gold or platinum and scored numerous hits on the U.S. singles charts, and most enduring of which included Love Will Keep Us Together, Do That To Me One More Time, and Muskrat Love. They hosted their own television variety series on ABC in 1976 and 77. Let's go ahead and take a listen. 
Their first hit single, a cover of Neil Sedaka's and Howard Greenfield's Love Will Keep Us Together, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart nine weeks after its 1975 debut, and went on to win the Grammy Award for Record of the Year. It sold over one million copies and was awarded a gold disc by the RIAA on July 1, 1975. Tenille paid tribute to Sedaka in the recording when she sang the overdub Sedaka is Back during the single's outro. The duo successfully mined the Sadaka songbook a number of times over their chart-making career. Two of their other hit singles were the Sadaka co-writes Lonely Night, Angel Face, and You Never Done It Like That. Their Spanish recording of Love Will Keep Us Together, Por Amor, Vivi Romos, also charted in 1975. It was the first time two versions of the same single charted simultaneously. Tenille and Dragon included renditions of several other Sadaka songs on their albums. Uh, it's a fun little upbeat song. It is, and that's, you know, it's one of their more famous, as you had mentioned multiple times, and I think everybody knows this song. I think so. Because I, they've played it in a ton of movies. It's and, been in commercials, it's been in all kinds of things. Yep, in fact, actually, I think you mentioned commercials, it's probably like in one burger joint commercial, because you're having two <laughs> things put together. Yeah. In Fower, actually, I think it was in a Reese's Pieces or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I think you're right. Peanut butter and chocolate. Yep, yep. Um, I think you're right. It's a good song. It's entertaining. I mean, it's pretty much what the '70s was all about. Yeah, you know, yeah. free love, entertaining, and regardless of how they felt about each other, they had a great chemistry together, and that showed oh, yeah. in their music. All right, so on to 1976, the year of my birth, and we get this hoser, Rod Stewart. Uh, tonight's the night gonna be all right. Sir Roderick David Rod Stewart is a British rock singer and songwriter. Born and raised in London, he is of Scottish and English ancestry. Stewart is one of the best-selling music artists of all time, having sold over 100 million records worldwide. He has had six consecutive number one albums in the UK, and his tally of 62 UK hit singles include 31 that reached the top 10, six of which gained the number one position. Stewart has had 16 top 10 singles in the U.S., with four reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100. He was knighted in 2016 in the 2016 Birthday Honors for Services to Music and Charity. Let's listen to Rod's golden voice. With his distinctive raspy singing voice, Stewart came to prominence in the late 1960s and the early 1970s with the Jeff Beck group, and then with Faces, though his music career had begun in 1962 when he took up busking with a harmonica. In October 1963, he joined the Dimensions as a harmonica player and part-time vocalist. In 1964, Stewart joined Long John Baldry and the All-Stars, and in August, Stewart signed a solo contract, releasing his first single, Good Morning Little Schoolgirl, in October. He maintained a solo career alongside a group career, releasing his debut solo album, An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down, in 1969. Stewart's early albums were a fusion of rock, folk music, soul music, and R&B. I am not a Stewart fan. I enjoy Rod Stewart. Um, I think your greatest hits album is perfect because it gets the pretty much the highlight of his career. This is not one of the songs that I would pick out to be one of my favorites of his. Okay, fair enough. Um, the Do You Think I'm Sexy song, everybody knows, is entertaining. That's, the again, the 70s, almost disco-y. Um, Young Turks, which the song, the I don't even think that line is in the song, but you know the song if you heard it. Okay. Um, those would be t- towards the top. 
he made a little bit of a comeback towards the in the 90s. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but really, he hasn't had the prominence he had in the 70s. I enjoy him. I'm not going to say he's my favorite, but it's it's an entertaining listen. It's better than we have the next year. <laughs> well, let's get to the next year. Would you like to introduce this one? Oh, sure. Why not? So, for 1977, we have the wonderful song You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone, which stayed at the top of the charts for 10 friggin' weeks. So, apparently, in 1977, everybody was all about having lovely relationships and being happy and in love and... Wait, weren't you born in 1977? In the early part, which means it was 76, probably. Well, let's do the math countdown. <laughs> yeah, it would have been fall of 76. All right. So, Deborah Ann Debbie Boone is an American singer, author, and actress. She is best known for her 1977 hit, You Light Up My Life, which spent 10 weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and led to her winning the Grammy Award for Best New Artist the following year. Boone later focused her music career on country music, resulting in the 1980 number one country hit, Are You on the Road to Loving Me Again? In the 1980s, she recorded Christian music, which garnered her four top ten contemporary Christian albums, as well as two more Grammys. Throughout her career, Boone has appeared in several musical theater productions and has co-authored many children's books with her husband, Gabrielle Ferrier. Let's take a listen. With her older sisters married and younger sister Lori in college, Boone was actively encouraged by producer Mike Kerb to launch a solo career. Boone released her first solo effort, You Light Up My Life, which has been featured in the film of the same name in 1977. The song became the biggest hit of the 1970s, spending 10 consecutive weeks at number one on Billboard Hot 100, longer than any other song in Hot 100 history at that point. The song earned Boone a Grammy Award for Best Artist and an American Music Award for Favorite Pop Single of 1977. She also received Grammy nominations for Best Pop Vocal Performance, Female and Record of the Year, won by, respectively, Barbra Streisand, The Eagles. You Let Up My Life also succeeded on Billboard's Adult Contemporary, number one for one week, and Country, number four, singles charts. What do you have against this? It is boring. I'm, she has a good voice. I'll give her that. But the song is just blah. It is a little blah, but it's... it's... very blah. Now, Debbie Boone, is this Pat Boone's daughter? Perhaps. Because if so, I mean, Pat Boone is pretty solidly in the music scene also. I mean, very well known as well. And, and pretty boring as well. Well, yeah, except for that metal cover CD he did. He did a metal cover CD? <laughs> oh, yes. Do you remember the Osbournes TV show? Yes. He did the opening theme of Crazy Train. Really? We'll check it out. You'll be surprised. Okay, okay. But, no, it's... I'll give her credit because she's got a great voice. I think America was made a bad choice that year, but at the same time, obviously a lot of people liked it. I am just not one of them. Well, maybe 1978 will be nicer to you. I hope so. So, in 1978, the top charting uh, single for that year was Eight Weeks. It was Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Now, the Bee Gees were a pop music group formed in 1958. Wait, rewind. What was that? They formed 58? 1958, yes. Holy crap. I double-checked to make sure that I didn't fat-finger something. Wow, I didn't know that they were around that long. 
The lineup consisted of brothers Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb. The trio was were successful for most of the decades of recording music, but they had two distinct periods of exceptional success as popular music act in the late 1960s and early 1970s, and as prominent performers of the disco music era in the late, the mid to late 1970s. The group sang recognized three-part tight harmonies. Robin's clear vibrato lead vocals were a hallmark of their earlier hits, while Barry's R&B falsetto became their signature sound during the mid to late 1970s and 1980s. Bee Gees wrote all of their own hits, as well as writing and producing several major hits for other artists. Let's get a little Night Fever. The Bee Gees have sold more than 220 million records worldwide, making them one of the world's best-selling music artists of all time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1997. The presenter of the award to Britain's first family of harmony was Brian Wilson, historical leader of the Beach Boys, a family act also featuring three harmonizing brothers. The Bee Gees Hall of Fame citation says, Only Elvis Presley, The Beatles, Michael Jackson, Garth Brooks, and Paul McCartney have outsold the Bee Gees. So what do you think? Night Fever by the Bee Gees. I'm going to preface this with I'm a rock and roll guy. Okay. I'm not a huge disco person. However, there is always a small, small part in my heart for the Bee Gees. Not only because of what they've done, but also the fact that they hadn't, they gave no shits. There was no apologies. It's like, this is the music we're doing. You're going to like it or not listen. Yeah. And that's, and obviously, by the number of records they sold, people mm-hmm. listened. Uh, well, and then they burned them at the ballpark and caused a riot during Nickel Beer Night. But at the at the end, Nickel Beer Night. Oh what yeah. What ballpark? And what was it? I th- um, and somebody, if you know this actual story, of this I'm just going by what I thought it was. I think it was this uh, Comiskey Park, maybe. Okay. It was if you bring a disco record to burn, it was like you got in free, and it was Nickel Beer Night. It was Why don't they do shit like that now? I'd go to a nickel beer night. Because the same thing would probably happen, and that's a goddamn riot. <laughs> but that being said, I enjoy the Bee Gees. I will not go and listen to them for hours on end. No. But if they're in a rotation, I'm not going to turn it off. Because their music, much like ABBA, is fun. Yeah. You know, it's accessible and, night and it's fever, fun. Night Fever is one of those songs that's just plain fun. It is. I mean, even if you're not a dancer, you still feel yourself kind of moving just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the shoulders get going. Exactly. You know, kind of thing. But, all right, we ready to round the uh, decade out here? Bring it on. This one. This is probably my favorite number one that made our list right now. So, I mean, out of the 70s? Really? Oh, yeah, The Knack. Nice. 1979, My Sharona by The Knack. Spent six weeks atop the number one. Uh, the Knack was an American rock band based in Los Angeles that rose to fame with their first single, My Sharona. An international number one hit in 1979. Within months of their live debut, popular club gigs on the Sunset Strip, as well as guest jams with musicians such as Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, and Ray Menzerich, 
led to the band being the subject of a recording record label bidding war. Bruce Gary was well known in the LA session scene. This became a source for later tensions. They ultimately signed to Capitol Records. The band's debut album, Get the Knack, was one of the year's best-selling albums, holding the number one spot on Billboard magazine's album chart for five consecutive weeks and selling two million copies in the United States. The lead single, My Sharona, was a number one hit in the U.S. and became a number one song of 1979. Follow-up single, Good Girls Don't, peaked at number 11 in the U.S. and reached number one in Canada. My Sharona, great song. Almost as good as Weird Al Yankovic's My Bologna. So, I beat you to punch on that one. I'm, I was figuring <laughs> I, I you were going to bring I that up. I knew where you were going with that. You know what? And this is where you and I talked about one-hit wonders before. Yep. Where one-hit wonders are ones that hit, you know, top 10. But this one hit 11, so they're technically not a one-hit wonder because they still had a top 15, top 20 person. But right. honestly, they are mainly known for this one. So oh, yeah. And they and had it's that. a good one to be known for. And they had that late 70s, early 80s look. They had the leather. They had the sunglasses. You know, they just had that edge look to them. Oh, yeah. It was it was breaking into the breaking into the metal, the, not really metal, but like the rock era. Right. Which, of course, once we start the next decade in the 80s, the rock just kind of went away all for yeah. Yeah, new, yeah. new age and everything else. Oh, yeah. It'll be interesting. So, well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Again, there's two ways you can contact us. If you want to drop us a line, let us know uh, what you think of the show, what you think of the decades, what other shows you like or whatever. Um, you can do that. You can send us an email um, at uh, musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com, or they can find us on Facebook, can't they? Absolutely. It's going to be at Musically Challenged Podcast, where yeah. you'll see our shining faces in some awesome rock and roll gear. Yeah. And feel free to leave us a message, or like it, or forward it, or sh- tell your friends, or just don't, I guess, if you want to be that way. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes for the guilt. Are you somebody's Jewish mother? In a former life, maybe. Okay, anyway, so once again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.com.